It's the Meg John and Justin Podcast. Yay! Another little pause there, and Jay enjoyed that. I know. Yeah. Mixing it up. Little changes every single time. Never the same twice. No. <laughs> so um, we're back, and uh, we hope you enjoyed last week's episode about hierarchies. Um, we know a lot of people have, so thank you for listening. Mm. This one. We've been asked to write for a journal, haven't we? Is that for a right? book. It's an edit- edited book collection about sex positivity. And they got in touch and said, hey, we, we know you're sex positive. We'd love you to write something. Yeah. And that we was bristled. really interesting. We were like, oh, no, we're not sex positive. Yeah, no, um, we're not sex positive. No. But I guess our book, um, Enjoy Sex, How, When and If You Want To, <sighs> might give them... <laughs> Early plug, MJ. Early plug. Uh, might give the wrong impression because enjoy sex that sounds like sex positive right yeah I mean we don't want people to not enjoy sex yeah but we're not saying that but really the whole title should give away that we're yeah. not sex positive how, how when and if you want, want to. to yeah exactly yeah but yeah so we thought we might do a whole podcast about sex positivity and what it is and why maybe it's not as great as you might think yeah and then um, that will help us get our thoughts in order for this book chapter because um, we wrote back to them and said we'll happily write you a chapter but it's actually going to be saying why sex positivity might not be such a good thing mm. and they were down with that so oh, they're going to include it in the book yay even better yeah um, <laughs> so should we start with sex negativity yes right so, so that's why that's why sex positivity came into being mm. right what this idea of being sex positive came into being because mm. our culture was very sex negative yeah yeah that and that's been a thing for many hundreds of years if not thousands of years but certainly as um dr eleanor yanniger wrote <laughs> i was Fish wondering yeah the other day that um that historically and certainly since um the medieval period mm-hmm. um a, a medieval period in in europe mm-hmm. um the only kind of sex that you were allowed to have was anything that might be procreative, so yeah. penis and vagina sex, mm-hmm. but also that um, the, you were not allowed to have any lascivious kissing. No lascivious uh, kissing. No lascivious kissing. Damn. You had to do it, uh, you certainly weren't allowed to have solo sex. Uh, you weren't allowed to do anything else that was non penis and vagina sex. So uh, no lascivious kissing, no like sexy touching, whoa. no masturbating each other, no oral. Jeez. You're really not allowed to be doing this. And actually, um, and also you, you could only do it on, I think, on a a Monday, a Tuesday, or a Sunday or something. I don't <laughs> know. There are some, like, only some that you can't, you can't do it during a period. Uh, you can't do it during uh, various festivals. Wow. So there was a very small time frame yeah. in which you were allowed to do a very small number of sexual activities, i.e. one, penis and vagina sex, uh-huh. um, uh, and only if you were married. Right, right. Uh, so that was sex negative right back to the medieval time of like sex is not seen as a good thing. Yeah. And, except under very specific circumstances and only a specific kind of sex. That idea that mm. sex or enjoying sex is is intrinsically a bad thing yeah absolutely and we had that I mean I can pick up the history from the bit I know it's like I guess the sexologists who were writing at the end mm-hmm. of the 
19th century um, were kind of sex negative too because they were yeah. again it was sex that's procreative it's the normal natural kind yeah. and everything else was being listed in these big like classification documents yeah. as deviances from that yeah. and there were like these big long collections of case studies of people who were into anything else basically other yeah. than that and they had to be really big books because there's an awful lot of people into things that are not that yeah. um, and uh it was only Freud, really, who brought in the idea that sex for pleasure might be okay. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and it kind of developed from there, didn't it, that uh, Kinsey kind of took that on and yeah. uh, is um, one of our favourite sexologists, I yeah. guess, if there were sexology top trumps. That's right, and has the same birthday as me. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Yeah, I love that. That's really good. I love that. Fun yeah. fact, 23rd of June, all the best sexologists are born on that day. <laughs> Sorry, Jess. <laughs> Uh, I'll share mine with Jay-Z. So well, there you go. You're all right. Who's winning, really? <laughs> who's winning? Sexologically uh, me. Yeah. 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 Um, but I'm closer to Beyonce, so That's true. I'm winning. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, and the history of sexology is kind of like passing this idea of like uh, various ideas of like what is functional, what is dysfunctional, what is normal, abnormal, what's reproductive, mm. non-reproductive. We talked about that a lot when we did those workshops at the the sexology exhibition at the oh, Welcome. Oh, the Welcome, yeah, we? that's right. That was a really cool exhibition because it showed you all of this this stuff. But, I mean, sex negativity didn't disappear with Freud. Like, So yeah. Freud brought in the idea that sex for pleasure was kind of the point of sex. Mm. And then people started really seeing it as this middle-class kind of leisure pursuit, like mm. it was part of marriage that you needed to have sex. Yeah. But it still was... Um, I think it was still kind of sex negative because it wasn't really... I don't know, just even up to the sort of 60s or so, Mm. there was still kind of a lot of negativity around sex. And Mm. I guess that's what Kinsey was trying to confront. Like, no one was talking about it. And no one was really exploiting a variety of things people could do. Yeah. And then you got kind of free love movement in the 60s and kind of all the women's consciousness raising groups and stuff, which were all about, like, let's try and find ways to enjoy sex. Yeah. Let's, you know, actually start talking about it. I mean, I guess mm. there's been a huge crossover period where there have been two competing ideologies, yeah. but we're still kind of in, aren't we? That, that kind of sex negativity, lie back and think of England kind of yeah. version, and then the more sex positive swing from the chandeliers. Yeah, yeah, and they kind of converged a lot over the last mm. few decades, I guess. Yeah, like since probably the sixties and seventies. Yeah. Um, but the, and this is, and I guess the sex positivity movement is a reaction against that, uh, against that sex negativity. That yeah. sex negativity historically has been um, anti-women, like anti-women's yeah. pleasure, yeah. and all about uh, penises and um, mm-hmm. privileging the penis. And yes, those own the, or- penises. the penis erection, orgasm, yeah, and like yeah. The, the ejaculation kind of being the end of sex and that kind of thing. Yeah, which mm. still uh, was stuff that Freud was talking about as well with his yeah. idea of mature and immature orgasms and Masters and Johnson were doing a similar thing and only really measuring uh, all praises to Masters and Johnson though I mean really they're my favourite sexologists they are you're doing a little heart symbol it's really cute because they were master master of sex by the sorry tangent master of sex (laughs) yes the The TV show yeah Yeah. the TV show that was shown here on Channel 4 then more Mm 4 we've had two series of that right and we thought it was over no, there have been two more that have not been shown in the UK. Oh, no. Bring it back. We want more Masters Emmy of Sex. Emmy Award winning yeah. Masters of Sex. Yes. Would, anyway. It would be good to have more of that. Yeah. So it, mm. even some of those sexologists who were seemingly doing work around sex positivity were, were always framing it within this really narrow context. Exactly. Of, that this is um, the only kind of sex that's still 
So I think what people, probably the people who are doing this book, and what a lot of people nowadays mean by sex-positive movement, Mm. or, you know, the sex-positive kind of ideal, is is a more recent thing, is kind of... um, Kind of in the sort of 90s to 2000s, Mm. sort of kind of the more sex parties Mm -hmm. and people being polyamorous Mm -hmm. and kinky and being open about that Mm -hmm. and that sort of movement towards, you know, hey, let's let's like be much more open around sex and let's recognise the diversity of things that can be sex and let's have sex in public places and that, that sort of movement towards being... Um, much more sexually free and open. And I'm also thinking about um, mm. things like Sex and the City in that episode yeah. about the rabbit. I think that's an example of modern yeah. day sex positivity. You that's know, right, sex toys. Yeah, yeah. that they're, o- they're okay now and you really should own one. And Yeah, you know, well, well, this is the yeah, point, isn't yeah. it? Is that what we're saying is that you can say great sex positivity, it's moving away from sex negativity, it's saying sex can be a wonderful thing Mm. but where it tilts over is it becomes a new set of shoulds and thoughts and I think that's where we're like really sceptical of it because I think yeah, the binary of like sex negative to sex positive both end up being this kind of hierarchy sex negativity says you know only kind of good proper missionary position coupled kind of um, procreative sex is is okay and it shouldn't really be much fun yeah um, and everything else is deviant and terrible yeah. but sex positivity kind of puts well you gotta be this kinky poly queer like yeah. having amazing sex parties all of this you know using the vibrator yeah yeah but I think also this the, a lot of the dodgy sex advice that we kind mm. of rail against and fight against also comes out of that sex positivity as well Absolutely. but oddly is very sex is it's very similar to sex negativity yeah so maybe there's two kinds of sex positivity there's like mainstream sex pos mm. which is kind of like sex advice which is still very penis and vagina yeah. um, kind of sex focused mm. and still quite questioning of anything beyond that and then there's more like sex positive communities which tend to be the more all singing all dancing version of sex of like everyone should be doing everything and like no holds barred kind of I mean for example I think Mm. that when we're talking about um, orgasms and Mm. when people are saying that you should always have them and these are the things that you should definitely have it's it, it is the contrary position to sex negativity lying back and getting it yeah. over and done with particularly for women but the idea that you should have orgasms is mm-hmm. now it's kind of like sex positivity but it puts that pressure on people which means it's very difficult to do so yeah. it's the shoulds it's the shoulds that the problem so yeah the mainstream sex positivity if we're going to call it that would be like mainstream sex advice which we talk about a lot in yeah. our book and elsewhere about mm. why that's a problem problematic set of messages and what you know it's it's sort of like people have to work at sex yeah it's like you've got a you know um ros gill talks about sexual entrepreneurship like mm-hmm. we've all got to become these sexual entrepreneurs yeah. who have all of this kit you know mm. it's a very like white middle class kind of version of like mm. sex and sexuality of like you've got to buy all of this stuff and yeah. you've got to learn all these techniques mm. and it becomes a real job of work and it's super gendered as well because often it's seen as like the emphasis is on women yeah. to learn all of this stuff and to kind of communicate it gently to guys so that they don't hurt their feelings yeah. and it's assumed that everyone's heterosexual yeah. and and then it's also women's job to d- demonstrate pleasure 
yeah as well and they've got to be having a fantastic time yeah and this this yeah the, so the the kind of focus on you must have an orgasm you must be having an amazing time mm-hmm. it becomes a new uh like yeah really rigid hard set of rules to follow yeah. that actually don't make any people happy and a lot of the questions i get from young men mm. are around uh, like heterosexual young men are mm. around being able to perform that kind of sex really well yeah like being able to give a give a woman an orgasm mm-hmm. like uh, or how can I make her squirt they're like questions mm. I get asked quite a lot and it comes from a similar place of that there are, there are certain things that we have to be doing first of all we have to be having sex yeah. we have to be having this kind of sex and performing it rather than experiencing it and being it which is yeah. uh, where, where we come in mm-hmm. that's the kind of advice we give so a lot of it's very performative but it's also like I think sex positivity like mainstream sex positivity um, advice and just what people say about it is also kind of relates kind of conflates the idea of sexiness with having a lot of having sex yeah is that kind of you are sexy you're having sex kind of thing and it's kind of like a way of fulfilling an idea like an idea of your potency I guess that's right it's not so much about pleasure it's about having it a lot um it's about doing it in different positions yeah. it's like knowing lots of techniques not just you know. on the bedpost exactly so it's not really about good sex as in you know you're really tuned into yourself and you're really doing what you you want to do yeah. it's much more about all oh, good sex is how many times and how many different positions like one yeah. sex advisor literally their advice is end in a different position to the one you started in yeah. every time yeah. that's how you decide whether it's been good sex or not exactly yeah no and and you're right that there are also additionally whole communities based around the, uh, around that kind of stuff but also around uh, different communities around like poly and kink and things well this is where I think the, the, the book that's asked us to be part of it is coming from mm. is that I think by their definition of sex positivity mm. would be the sex positive movement which is about definitely going way beyond yeah. the usual kind of mainstream sex advice to say actually you know there are all these diverse amazing kinds of sex that people can be yeah. having let's get experimental yeah. you know let's have probably more more than one partner yeah. for sex um, yeah let's do a load of kinky stuff let's you know have parties yeah exactly yeah. just like see it as see it as a hugely again a, a kind of leisure pursuit that we can that we can pursue but without those kind of rigid rules around what we can do so we can kind of more tune into what we like and we've got all these different options available to us so you might think on the face of it that's great yeah like surely that's better than either sex negativity or the mainstream kind yeah. of really narrow version of sex positivity it's like this mm. wide diverse open space mm. but what's wrong with that I mean, politically, it mm. might be sounds like quite an attractive thing to mm-hmm. do because if we think about Gal Rubin's uh, wheels, yeah, of, the charm circle, the charm circle, that's yeah. it, not wheels, charm circle, uh, all of those things that we talked about there are the on the outside of the charm circle, so yeah. they are not allowed in mainstream society. So there is something quite political about doing all of these things that are seen as being yeah. not real sex, not so, real relationships. Yeah. So the Gal Rubin char- in the charm circle, the things that are seen as okay is like monogamous, heterosexual coupled sex in private yeah. without toys all of that the mainstream kind of mainstream version yeah. and then the outer limits you've got non-monogamous you've got in public you've got porn you've yeah. got kink you've got all of this solo sex etc yeah. and so yeah sex positivity is saying hey let's be in the outer limits all of those anything goes all of yeah. those things are fine yeah but the problem with it is that it's another should as well isn't it that well yeah the idea that actually 
that you're this idea that you're not really a kind of a sexual libertine or that you are like um, you're almost part of the problem if you're not doing that kind of stuff exactly it's like you, you there's a, a it, maybe it's not explicit but it's definitely an implicit pressure mm. of like you should be doing all of that yeah and where I learned the most about this was this amazing um, set of zines that people have produced um, so the first one was called Fucked um, and the tagline was on being sexually dysfunctional in sex positive queer scenes okay um, and then they followed up because that zine was so popular like so many people related to this idea that mm. sex positive scenes could be a really pressured environment mm. so the first scene had a lot of stories from the people who wrote the zine about how they'd found it really difficult mm. being in sex positive scenes mm. and the second zine they followed up with people had just written in mm. to them all of their own stories about you know that they really resonated with this so mm. they followed the zine up with one called Too Fucked, Too Furious. Okay. Which is an awesome <laughs> follow-up. And I would highly recommend people to go and buy those two zines mm. if, if you're at all involved in sex-positive communities or sex-positive spaces. Um, because, you know, A, it's really good if you struggled in those spaces. Yeah. And B, it's really good if you maybe organise those spaces mm. to, to realise why they might not be so good for everybody. I mean, I guess mm. the, the one thing that is... Um, the, the one thread that is really common with sex negativity, mainstream sex positivity, and the kind mm. of non-mainstream sex positivity we're talking about yeah. is about consent, yes. right? You know, that's the key thing here. And that's yeah. the, the big, I guess the single biggest topic in sex, mm-hmm. arguably the single biggest topic, Yeah. full stop, um, is that we need to be aware of, it's about try where we are as sex critical sex advisors mm-hmm. and sex educators is to talk about okay how can we tune into what sex we may actually want rather than the sex we feel that we should yes. have so if there's any should whether that's you should have sex to procreate whether it's you should have sex to demonstrate pleasure and keep your relationship alive yeah. or you should have sex to show that you're this hedonistic libertine yeah. you know and having a wonderful time yeah. and being part of this community yeah. in order to be part of this community you need to be demonstrating this sex any of those things means non-consensual stuff is really easily going to happen. Yeah. Like whether, you know, you're top, getting into bed on your honeymoon night yeah. and you know that you have to have sex. Yeah. Or you're, um, yeah, getting into bed with a new partner, having read all the sex advice and you know that you have to have sex and show how much you're enjoying it. Or your partner thought you are a rabbit. Yeah. Yeah. Or whether you're at, you know, a sex party and mm-hmm. you know that if you don't get it on with somebody at the sex party, you're going to feel bad and other people are going to judge you. Like... In all of those cases, yeah. how are you going to tune into what you want and how are you going to communicate that with another person? That's going to be really difficult. And there's a lot of power imbalance going on all the way through that. But <clears throat> there are even power imbalances going on in spaces where people think that there there aren't, but th- yeah. there really are. Yeah. So in, um, it, in like a lot of sex positive spaces where... Um, uh, for example, like a sex party, which we talked about in a previous podcast. Yeah. Um, people might, uh, there's a lot of expense in going to a sex party for a lot of people. Like, be, the tickets themselves can be quite expensive. Mm. The venues are often in places where people really, uh, it's a long way to get there. People might need to get cabs or the, the public transport might take them ages to get there. Um, fancy dress is usually a thing that people have to do so that people can wear costumes, which don't have to be expensive. But yeah. there's a time... Uh, uh, kind of thing going on there and imagine going to these things with somebody you really want to have sex with there and there's a whole load of other people having sex at this party yeah all the pressure there is is huge mm-hmm. and it's really 
Um, it's one of these things where actually it's creating so many more shoulds and so much more pressure to have sex. And there can be very exclusionary spaces as well, as we've talked yeah, about. Yeah, I was just uh, looking on my phone. There's this great paper by Elizabeth Sheff and mm-hmm. Corey Hammers, and it's called The Privilege of Perversities, yeah. Race, Class and Education Amongst Polyamorists and Kinksters. Yeah. And it's all about how a lot of poly and kink and you know other sex pods kind of spaces tend to be very white very middle class yeah. assuming a certain level of education and very able bodied uh, yeah not there's not a lot of disability access yeah and also there's often you know the the problem is when people create a new space in reaction to like the old space that they're criticizing yeah they often only do it on certain axes of intersectionality yeah you know so it's like they were saying, okay, look look at those old spaces. Those are very heterosexual, you know, yeah. and they're not great on gender. Mm. Then, you know, maybe they're very cisgender and maybe they're very monogamous. Yeah. So we're going to p- create spaces that are great in terms of all different genders, all different sexualities yeah. and non-monogamies. But what we haven't looked at at all, because maybe it's not relevant to the people setting it up, is race, class, yeah. disability, um, body shape and size, survivor status, yeah. you know, asexuality for sure hasn't been looked at. So all of those things just get just transferred directly, yeah. you know, from sex neg to sex pos mainstream to sex pos crit- yeah. you know, more alternative. Yeah. It's like exactly the same on all of those dimensions. It's just more and more scripts, isn't it? And mm-hmm. it's more uh, and it's more and more um, differences in power and different power dynamics that, that yeah. need to be explored. They really do because if you're going, then going into this, those spaces and you're not from that um, dominant group mm. in the space, then you're going to feel even more pressure um, maybe to conform to things that don't feel comfortable to you or you're yeah. just going to feel really excluded and not go in those spaces. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of these things might make us sound like we're killjoys. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, uh, we are. Feminist killjoy, <laughs> right here. <laughs> um, but we're not. Like, people, uh, we know a lot of people listen, listen to this podcast. You all enjoy lots of different forms of sex in different environments. And, yeah, and so the great cool. thing about sex positivity, the alternative version, is yeah. it opens up to the ma- massive diversity of sexual practices. Yeah. And I think all we're saying is go further in terms of that opening up because you know I think really one of the best critiques of it comes from the asexual communities yeah. who are saying you know actually one of the big diversities in sex is that people have everything from a, from no sexual attraction to really high levels yeah. and you know your space has got to be mindful of that it's got to be okay to be just not into sex yeah. or not into sex that particular occasion yeah that's got to be fine as well. And I think that's one of the things that really improved my writing. And I think it's a thing that um, that hopefully comes across in our book and the work that we do together mm. is that it's got to include asexual folk. Yeah. Uh, which might, on the face of it, sound silly that we're writing a sex advice book that we think might be useful for folk who don't really experience sexual attraction yeah. or for whom sex isn't really something they're that interested in maybe taking mm. part in. But we think it does. Yeah, and beyond that, I think we think that the minute you start to include asexual folk, you start to be better for everybody yeah. because you stop stop saying, oh, you should be having sex of any kind yeah. and it's actually okay to literally never have sex or only have it very occasionally, yeah. you know, have it for all different kinds of reasons. Yeah. Yeah, it's, so it's really important. Um, and so, yeah, so just any, any kind of space or community that has this new set of shoulds mm. built in need to look at that 
really yeah. carefully I think yeah yeah reminds me of the crab buckets again yeah that's that I, right I talk about in rewriting the rules um, which I've just done a second edition of that's so great and it even has a cartoon of crab buckets oh, oh yeah wow there's cartoons at the beginning of every chapter now fantastic yeah and one of that's them really is good. A, yeah so I learned how to draw a crab so tell us about the crab buckets again because yeah. um, uh, can't wait to see a picture of a crab bucket <laughs> tell us about the crab buckets again so for mm. readers who listeners who haven't read uh, Rewriting Rules it's so such it's a great it's analogy it's a great like idea from Terry Pratchett so mm-hmm. he's the fantasy sort of comedy fantasy author yep. who uh, sadly died fairly recently um, but he's absolutely amazing um, and in one of his books he has this idea of the crab bucket and it says that if you've got a bucket full of crabs so I guess you're a crab fisherman to have this bucket full of crabs I'm yeah. not sure anyway um, you got this bucket full of crabs and basically if a crab tries to escape the bucket the other crabs in the bucket will pull it back in. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of like that we're more comfortable in the crab bucket. Yeah. So the crab itself doesn't really want to escape the crab bucket, but even if it tries to, the other crabs pull it down. Yeah. And this is how like normativity works. So yeah. that, you know, when people try to escape these the norms of sex, other people will try and pull them back in. Yeah. And the way I kind of um, expanded this idea was like well what if that crab does escape the bucket mm-hmm. you know what if we get out of heteronormativity or we get out of the mainstream sex yeah. positivity mm-hmm. and we realise that sex advice version of sex is pretty crappy for us but then we're like where are we we're on the beach mm. you know scuttling around the seagulls that are going to try and get us you know it's a pretty scary place to be and we see there's another bucket over there with crabs in yeah and it looks better than the bucket we came from so we go and hop in there yeah and it becomes another crab bucket yeah and so all of the really you know alternative sex pods people are all like yeah come to our parties dress up with yeah. this is how we do things yeah. this is the kind of relationships we have this is the kind of sex we have yeah and it's like okay that must be the right way of doing things yeah. and you stay in that bucket and maybe you're looking over at the other bucket and laughing yeah at those crabs being so delusion deluded in that bucket but you're doing the same thing yeah because that bucket is full of the inherent values and rules and regulations uh, mm-hmm. and norms their own norms inherent in that bucket too yeah so it's a whole different set of rules regulations and norms exactly uh, in, a, in a just different kinds so we just we always need to look at our buckets and yeah think like yeah what is what are the rules and norms here and who might they exclude um, and it's not even just that those spaces exclude some people it's that they're also not great for the people who they include as yeah. you said particularly around consent yeah. because as soon as there's a set of shoulds people are going to be doing things that they don't really want to be doing yeah. and and you know that to the point that maybe even even be really non-consensual yeah. and this is something that Kitty Stryker has written about in yeah. this um, uh, book on consent I think it's called Ask First or sort of Ask Just Ask consent cultures it's a consent cultures book I'm going to look it up while we're talking but anyway Kitty Stryker new book out about consent and um, and it's all about how within kink and poly and other sex positive spaces there are these kind of pressures that mean that people again are really easily engaging in non-consensual behaviour and in fact some people really really being pretty abusive in those contexts and using them as a kind of veneer for extremely non-consensual behaviour because because people want to believe they're such consensual spaces that if somebody speaks out about them being non-consensual quite often that person ends up getting excluded because nobody really wants to look at it yeah yeah it's the replacing of the 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 idea of nothing goes that comes with uh, sex negativity with everything goes yeah you know exactly. that we should all be up for everything and i think a lot of people kind of face that with um 
a lot of people find that kind of pressure around certain particular activities as well like you're not really um, as a heterosexual woman for example you're not really fulfilling your full sexual potential if you don't try anal sex or something yeah or mm-hmm. if you don't uh, if you're like the pressure to be bisexual for a lot of straight people for yeah, example yeah, to yeah. kind of prove like a kind of a sex positive everything goes kind of thing yeah and it's all almost kind of not okay to to do what it is that you feel comfortable with or to identify in a way you feel comfortable that's right with. and again it can be so easy you know if there's a kind of pressure on women particularly to be bi-curious or yeah. bi then they might end up actually not tuning into what they want making themselves do something with another woman like with a male partner watching or something yeah that's probably really going to be hurtful to that other woman if it's not really what they want to be doing it's yeah. just you know it's it's a horrible treatment of the self yourself and others yeah yeah i'm just checking out the book i was mentioning kitty mm-hmm. striker um ask building consent culture yeah it is it's available on amazon now so nice that's, uh, yeah looking forward to reading that me too um so i think what sex positivity kind of tries to open up for a lot of people is that we find it really difficult to articulate what it is that we want to tune into what it is that we want and then to articulate what we want is really difficult and particularly for a lot of people who are women because Mm -hmm. of the way that the status that um, sexually active women have in society is not great think of all the words used to describe women who have sex and compare those to all the words used to describe men who have sex and uh, women are taught that uh, they are the other, and uh, mm-hmm. that they they their needs um, need to be subjugated to the needs of men and all that kind of stuff. So I guess what sex positivity can do is to open up lots of different kinds of possibilities for people. Mm-hmm. But the thing that it doesn't do is to really open up how we might connect with those different kinds of possibilities. Mm-hmm. I think that's where sex criticism comes mm. in and where sex critical sex advice comes in that's right and I'm thinking about what you're just saying about women as well where still it can still really buy into that Madonna whore binary yeah can't it I guess you've got like sex negativity is about women have all got to be chaste and mm-hmm. wonderful and virginal but sex positive can be like almost like just flip the other way or women have all got to be up for it yeah you know that's I mean you really get that on like college campuses and stuff that sense of like women have just got to be up for it and fun and have lots of sex otherwise there's you know and it's it's still kind of positioning women as only like can be only one of these two things um, yeah and if we position women yeah. as objects in that way then yeah. the way that they have to perform mm. one of two kinds of womanhood around yeah. sexuality for men yeah then it completely strips them of agency yeah and when they're stripped of agency uh, it's very difficult to, to work out what it is you want because yeah. you've never been told hey here's how to work out what you, what yes. you want yes, or what exactly. you might need it's all about what being, doing something for or being something for somebody else yeah but you were going to say about sex critical then. Should we explain that to Yeah, you? so we're, we're, we are kind of sex critical sexologists, we right? Are. Sex advisors, sex eminent, educators. Eminent sex critical sexologists. Yeah, we were described <laughs> that once. That's not a mouthful at all. No, <laughs> eminent sex critical sexologists. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For the second edition of the book. Yeah. It's going to zing, isn't it? Oh, that's a real zinger. Yeah, Yeah, big zinger. We know how to sell books. So, um, yeah, I mean, we kind of sit 
either between those two things or outside of those things yeah it's, it's like, like a bit buddhist isn't it it's like finding a middle way mm. between sex negative and sex positive and mm. it's about a sort of a non-binary thinking around this as well um which i like um but we got the idea from um from from a proper eminent sexologist <laughs> i think she's the real deal yeah uh, lisa downing yeah um who is a professor at birmingham university okay um, so you can check out her blog actually about sex critical mm-hmm. um, if you search for Lisa Downing and sex critical um, but yeah so what she's saying is is to that sex critical is about questioning those negative positive binaries for a start um, and is about thinking critically about any set of shoulds yeah. so she's saying I think it kind of comes out of you know there was there's a tendency to like for people to be really critical about porn for example yeah. but then just accept sex advice yeah. and she's saying well no you need to be just as critical of any representation of sex yeah. so whether we're coming from that mainstream perspective of being like super critical of kink but fine about heteronormative sex yeah actually no you've got to be just as critical of both yeah but that doesn't mean flipping and being like really fine about all kink and really critical of heteronormative sex because actually there are super problems in kink communities as well yeah. so it's like everything anything goes everything has to have the same critical lens on yeah. it yeah and it's examining um things critically through different kinds of um with with different kinds of lenses too like mm. we're examining the ethics around particular things yeah. and examining um how consensual they might be or examining the power dynamics and examining the scripts and examining the the cultural messages we receive yeah and that's the kind of stuff that I mean we're doing right now yeah we're we're being sex critical right right now because we are referring to sex negativity and sex positivity yeah there are elements within both of those that people may enjoy but it's it's the idea that there are these um, that's the idea that you should be doing it is the the thing we're critiquing and that's right and I mean from an academic perspective Lisa would take that further to be like you know who does this serve what you know what power what you know, structures and powerful structures would this serve, for example, to have yeah. these kind of norms around sex? So who benefits, you know, the pharmacy industry or, you yeah. know, the, the sex advice industry or whatever? Um, well, Foucault had a lot to say about that. Oh, Lisa Downey's got a lot to say about Foucault. Yeah, yeah. that's that's one of her areas of expertise. I can yeah. recommend her book on Foucault, actually. If you struggle oh. to understand Foucault, it's a fantastic, like, it just goes to all his books and explains what they're about in oh, a really okay. accessible way. Yeah. Right. Then I should read that book. Yeah, well recommended. I won't read Foucault, I'll read that book. I, I always say I read that book <laughs> instead because it's just much more accessible yeah. than going right to the Foucault. Um, but yeah, yeah, so it's that's exactly where Lisa's coming from, is that who, yeah, who does it serve and mm. what kind of what kind of dominant ideas get perpetuated and why and mm. that kind of thing. But we're using it more just, you know, in a we are kind of drawing on those ideas but we're thinking like what would sex advice look like mm. if it was fully really trying to be fully inclusive and if it was critical of the messages yep. that people receive about sex yeah. and I think that's the other thing that we say as well I think I said this on a recent podcast is that we're not doing this because we think it's the right thing to do or because we're ext- we're trying to be extraordinarily woke no we think we're doing it because <laughs> it's the most useful exactly because like I was thinking people might say oh critical that's a bit of a harsh word it's mm. like that doesn't sound like a lot of fun no like, I mean it's not in our tagline <laughs> no, so, that's true but yeah. like what would sex critical sex look like would that be like dead serious where you're like you know sitting down having a serious convo about like you know power dynamics and shit and like you're not really you know and then you're just having like kind of 
sex where you're like checking out every single moment of like what somebody wants and like oh has the power dynamic shifted and now I've got to stop doing this or you know it doesn't sound like a lot of fun no Uh, but it is so what is sex critical sex if it's not that Uh, well I think it's basically it's everything in our book really I mean it's the (laughs) (laughs) it's that we're um, that we have to realise that they're we can't escape the culture mm-hmm. that we have around us, which is either sex positive or sex negative, yeah. or a combination, weird combination of both, like we talked about, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Uh, that essentially say the same thing. And to start with that, and to start with ourselves, yeah. and to really, for that process of really trying to tune in to what it is that we want, is a really difficult thing to do, yeah. with because of all of these scripts telling us that we getting in the way and telling us that we can't do those things yeah so I think that's the starting point really isn't it is to examine the shoulds and to explore the wants yeah exactly so I think that's where for me it becomes really fun Mm. because instead of just going with all of these shoulds whichever ones they are Mm. it's about like what do I really want and then, then you're just going to be having much more enjoyable times. Whether what you figure out is, actually, I don't want to be having sex at the moment, yep. and actually then you're having much more enjoyable times so you're going to be- get bed with a good book in the evenings yep. <laughs> instead of trying to make yourself do something you don't want to do. Yep. That's much more enjoyable. Or whether you're like, oh, you know, what I've always really wanted to do is like forget genital sex. It's about this kind of particular kink practices. And yep. then you meet some other people who are really into that and you're mm-hmm. having an absolute blast, yep. you know. Or you tune in and, you know, you realise it's kind of, you know, the, the heterosexual kind of sex and the piv and the orgasms and stuff does do it for you, but mm-hmm. you feel you feel like you can inject gauge with it with the, without putting so much pressure on it. Yep. Um, again, you're just going to be able to enjoy that yep. a lot more. And maybe also if we can, um, I think we're also, I guess, romance critical as well, aren't we? That if we, yeah. can, if we can decouple this, uh, the, the sex and romantic love yeah. stuff. Um, that that can take a lot of pressure off both of those things. Exactly. That, you know, they aren't things that necessarily always have to go together in that particularly defined way of procreative sex from the Middle Ages. Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's um, that it has to be that that by doing that, it's more it's easier to tune into what it is we're getting or want from a romantic relationship, as well as what it is that we may want from the sex book. Yeah. So you may find you're having much more pleasurable solo sex, for example, because yeah. you're able to let that go wherever you know feels right to you. And you may find you're also managing to like have sex with folks who have really similar kind of interests to you, rather than trying to make yourself have sex with somebody who maybe doesn't have that similar. Yeah. Or if you are in a monogamous relationship and that's the person you have sex with, you're able to find like where the areas of overlap are, yeah. rather than trying to do the things where you don't really overlap in terms of interests. And yeah, exactly. And also not being so, not being, trying to be less upset about somebody maybe not wanting to have sex with you and that it's yeah. not about the relationship, it's about that moment or that dynamic mm-hmm. or that particular kind of sex or just how they're feeling at that moment. Yeah. The, just the decoupling of uh, desire and attraction and the relationship yeah. that, that they aren't necessarily, uh, one isn't necessarily causing another. So I think we're saying sex critical sex is a lot more fun and also a lot more potentially consensual yeah. Be, yeah you're going to have much more of an eye to consent and also you're going to have a much more of a sense of what you want and what the other person wants if you're aiming at something more sex critical yeah 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 I think so mm-hmm. I think also like um, 
more broadly as well I'm uh, like in my in my kind of other job as a sex educator we're mm. trying to do sex critical sex education as well because a yeah. lot of this really a lot of sex education is either kind of sex negative or sex positive right right like this idea that it's inherently risky you shouldn't do it uh, you're going to get an STI or yeah. you're going to get somebody uh, share your sext and you'll end up wanting to kill yourself or something yeah. which is often what people are thought but then also and um, by the same token that sex education says well you will be having sex when you have a relationship it's important that you have sex or wait yeah. until you find somebody and wait until you're in a relationship before you do have sex with them and that, that it's inevitable that you will do it mm-hmm. there's very little space for folk heterosexuals there yeah. so when you bring in folk heterosexual you make sex critical sex education yeah and that really is the answer because that's much more consensual and it's much more about what people may or may not want yeah. both in terms of the sex and also the relationships mm. so it's um, it is what we think it is the answer and so we're always yeah. a little bit kind of I always bristle when somebody says that I'm sex positive yeah I don't really think I am no I think we are sex critical and I yeah. think yeah like hopefully the podcast has explained why there are a few problems with sex positive whether we take that in the mainstream way or the alternative way yeah then actually a lot of really quite sketchy stuff is happening under that veneer of sex positivity that we would like to get away from yeah 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 boom cool so uh, if you enjoyed this podcast you would love our book no oh, book yeah. for this uh, enjoy sex how when and if you want to oh, yeah. yeah available on our website or on Amazon please leave a review um, <laughs> uh, WH Smith still 30% off WH Smith oh, so yay. it's like under 6 quid yeah um, uh, you can get our zines via our website megjohnandjustin.com mm-hmm. where you can also find all the blog posts we have that accompany um the podcasts we're starting to try to kind of summarize what we're talking about in a blog post for each one as well um and you can follow us on the twitters at meg john justin facebook.com forward slash meg john justin soundcloud.com forward slash meg john justin where you can subscribe to our podcasts and leave a review there too ah review the podcast yeah nice uh you can just like yeah if you just want to like it yeah you click the heart Thing. Oh, it's a heart then. I think so. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and I think that's it then. Yeah, that's us for today. But uh, we will write this chapter based on this podcast and send it to this book. And we will talk about that, I'm sure, in the future once it comes out. Definitely. Yeah. So something to keep an eye out on. Yeah. Listeners. <laughs> Dear listener. <laughs> so until next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.